Okay, so the title of the message this morning is Submission to Authorities, Romans 13, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. In the Apostle Paul's letters, he often introduces a new subject to an existing theme, a new subject to an existing theme. Nonetheless, the new subject is always married to and falls under the overall canopy of his current thematic thought process. With me? For example, here in our text, we see, this is Romans 13, 1 through 7, we see that Paul moves from the marks of a true Christian in Romans 12 to the subject of the Christian's duty being obedient to governing authorities in Romans 13. So he, he changes subjects from Romans 12 to 13. And so we have a new subject, i.e. being obedient to governing authorities, but being obedient to governing authorities, although a new subject still thematically falls under how a true Christian is supposed to live his or her life. And Paul did the same thing when he went from Romans 11 to Romans 12. In Romans 11, he was talking about the remnant, or the remnant, I should say, of Israel and the mystery of Israel's salvation. And then he shifted to a new subject whereby he gave us instructions uh, on how to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God in Romans 12.1. And he did so without changing the theme, is my point, which was and is God's salvation for all, both Jew and Gentile, which one can argue is actually the overarching theme for the entire book of Romans. Now I'm bringing this up because some theologians suggest that because Romans 13 is such a marked subject shift from Romans 12 that someone else besides Paul inserted Romans 13 into the epistle to the Romans at a later date. And so naturally, I am objecting to that ridiculous notion as evidenced by the fact that Paul often shifts to a different subject in his letters, but he consistently remains with the same overarching theme. Like I said, being subject to governing authorities still falls under how Christians are to conduct themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. I pray that makes sense because we're going to move on. Let's look at the first seven verses of chapter 13. Under the heading, if, if you have the ESV, the heading is submission to authorities. Beginning in verse 1, follow along with me. Let every, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, 
Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, his own conscience. For because of this, Paul says, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers to God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So the Apostle Paul's implication here is that the first century Roman government was adequate in carrying out two essential functions from within its society and within its rule, one of which was um, to be entirely capable of approving and maintaining generally that which was good and right for its citizens in its society, and the other was to punish those who they deemed to be evil or criminal, um, uh, evil or criminal threat to that said good in their society. And of course, Paul has in mind, this is important, general terms here. In other words, Paul did not naively believe that the Roman government was always, without a doubt, right in their definitions of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable or criminal or not criminal in their society each and every time they made a judgment. They obviously weren't right every time. That goes for our government in our society. As Christians, we obey the law generally, but if the government creates laws for its citizens that are contrary to God's laws, well then, Christians may be compelled to obey God's laws rather than the laws of its government. Make sense? More on this momentarily. Right now, let's just continue to look at the scriptures that demonstrate our duty as Christians to carry out Paul's sentiment in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Scripture interprets Scripture. So again, if you like, you can turn in your Bible to 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. We're going to use 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 to give credence to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And in 1 Peter 2, we see under the ESV heading once again is submission to authority, same as Romans 13. And Peter says, beginning in verse 13, 
of 1 Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So here we see two larger portions of Scripture and the same subject matter by two different apostles. Paul in Romans 13, Peter in 1 Peter 2, obviously same subject matter. Our Lord Christ also addresses the issue of submitting to governing authorities. If you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 17... Now, in Matthew 17, verse 27, the temple tax collectors came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay temple tax? And Peter automatically says, well, yeah, and indeed he does, mate. But the text seems to indicate that Peter really didn't know. He just answered uh, the temple tax collectors with an assuming, well, yeah, he, yeah, he pays it. Well, then Matthew tells us that after that conversation, Peter walks into the house where Jesus is, and Jesus, being all-knowing, says, um, hey, Peter, in order to not give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open it, its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and yourself. So in these verses of Matthew's gospel, there's more, listen, there's more to the context than we have time to get into this morning. However, it's sufficient to say that Jesus uh, should have been actually free from having to pay this temple tax because he was the son of the heavenly king and the sons of earthly kings at this time didn't pay taxes. And so how much more should the son of the heavenly king be free from paying this tax? Okay, that gives you a taste of what is going on in these verses and in this, this chapter without getting too deep. But in order to avoid, this is what I want us to see this morning, in order to avoid an argument and in order to not give offense to the governing authorities, okay, Jesus paid the tax anyway so that they could not fault him or pass judgment upon him or Peter for that matter. So our Lord obviously did this to set an example and to fulfill his duty as a citizen. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus submitted to the governing authorities even when he didn't have to. 
And as we'll see later in this sermon and next week, we, we will do the same with our government. We just read a moment ago that in 1 Peter 2.15, that this was the will of God in order to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Even today, people look for bad things to say about Christians, about us, don't they? And knowing that this is true, we should be all the more cognizant to obey the laws and thereby give them no opportunity to accuse us of violating those laws. In our text, Paul says that if we disobey these authorities that they have been put or that have been put in place by God, then we bring judgment to ourselves by default. And he also points out that putting ourselves in subjection to these authorities not only keeps us from avoiding God's wrath, but it also keeps uh, our conscience free from condemning us. That's Romans 13.5, where he says that. Now, I've just given you a few scriptures pertaining to this subject of submitting to the rule of governing authorities. In one of those examples, we see Jesus doing that which he technically, as I said, didn't have to do, but not uh, doing it could have created an offense, and so he he did it anyway. Now, think about this for a minute. There are things in our society that we are required to do that we could technically refrain from doing in the name of our Christian beliefs and also for the sake of our Christian conscience. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, this is a fact. Some Christians would say if we don't obey the governing authorities in reference to these moral dilemmas and decisions, we will bring unnecessary offense to evangelicalism as a whole, and we will also uh, be breaking the law to boot. Other Christians, separate set of Christians, hypothetically, other Christians would say that we should break the law regarding these things because these man-made laws are contrary to God's laws and therefore it's a no-brainer. We are to obey God rather than man, Acts 5.29. And indeed, many Christians do cite Acts 5.29 as justification for breaking these man-made laws that oppose God's laws. Acts 5, Mike's paraphrase, okay? This is what we've got going on in Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira were just struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. And the apostles start at the same time 
performing miracles of all sorts to the extent that people were carrying their sick into the streets and leaving them there with the hope that Peter's shadow might fall upon them and they might be healed. And people gathered from all the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and possessed to be healed. And Luke says that all of them were healed. I never caught that until I just read it again the other day. All of them were healed. So then the apostles get arrested, right? Because the high priest is filled with jealousy toward the apostles. I guess his ego couldn't take the fact that uh, the apostles were healing people and he wasn't. So during the night, an angel of the Lord comes to the prison, opens their prison doors, and gives them instructions to go to the temple and speak to the people, quote, I love this, quote, all of the words of this Christian life, end quote. Seems like a strange phrase. All of the words, go, go tell them all the words of this Christian life. So they entered the temple and at daybreak, and they began to teach. So the high priest obviously gets wind of this fact that the guys that he had just arrest, arrested and put in jail are no longer in jail, but now they're teaching in the temple. So he sends for them and says, hey, we strictly told you not to teach in this guy's name. You have filled all Jerusalem with this teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, here's the key. We must obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, the religious leaders, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So naturally, as you may have guessed, I would like us to pay particular attention of Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So the apostles are saying here in this narrative that they must obey God rather than, listen, the God-instituted governing authorities. So we read in Romans 13 that God sets these authorities up to govern and that they do his bidding and his will. And now we're reading that in this case, we're to ignore those instituted God-governing authorities and we are to obey God rather than Man, why? Because preaching the gospel, this is the most important part of the sermon, preaching the gospel and teaching the people about Jesus supersedes any command from any governing authority 
to do otherwise. One more time. Because preaching the gospel and teaching the people about Christ supersedes any command from any governing authority to do otherwise. Preaching the gospel is black and white. It is cut and dry. And we are commanded to do by God, okay, this very thing. Preach the gospel. And we are commanded to do it only second to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Preach the gospel, cut and dry, black and white. We are not only given numerous examples of this in Scripture, but also numerous examples in history that we are to preach the gospel no matter what, even to the point of what? Death. Eleven of the twelve apostles were martyred for their faith, and so were thousands of other men and women who came after them. Many of them died, as we know, horrendous deaths for preaching the gospel when the God-placed, God-instituted governing authorities told them not to preach the gospel. And as we speak, there are Christians dying all around the world for preaching the gospel. Just this past Friday, a Coptic Christian in Egypt was shot 22 times for his Christian faith. Yes, he died. In 2021, I should say, in 2021 alone, the number of Christians verifiably persecuted for their faith went up by 30%. And the number of Christians killed in 2021 for their faith increased by 60% from the previous year. Right now in China and India, yeah, India, China and India are increasingly using facial recognition software and secretly planted computer chips to track the movement of Christians in their countries so that they can better persecute them. And I could go on and on. Thus far, though, we have established, I hope, that we are to preach the gospel no matter what, to the extent of even losing our lives, despite what any governing authority might say or do to our detriment. But, major but, what about those things that fall outside of the gospel preaching? Surely if we can disobey the God-instituted governing authorities when they tell us that we can't preach the gospel, we must also be able to disobey those same governing authorities when they demand that we do other things that go against God's word and against our Christian conscience, right? Yes. 
Now, as you listen to what I'm about to say from here on out, as I answer that question, please keep in mind, this is important, please keep in mind that we have already interpreted Acts 5.29, and we have already concluded that in context, very important, when we are told to obey God rather than man in that one verse, it is against the backdrop of preaching the gospel when men tell us that we can't preach the gospel. So how do we interpret Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, our text, how do we interpret our text in light of the other things in our society that are being done and that clearly go against what is taught in God's word? Let's take a much closer look at the text to answer that question. And by the way, we are taking a much closer look at the text because I am often asked by some of you and by many other Christians, often asked, just how far can we go, Mike, as Christians when it comes to disobeying the governing authorities, when they break God's laws and Christ's commandments? How far can we go? And these are legitimate questions. Very legitimate questions. Actually, what is very far from legitimate are the answers that some Christian pastors and leaders give as biblical responses to these said questions. The very first mistake that many Christians make when interpreting Romans 13 is they forget about Romans 12. One cannot interpret pretty much any chapter in Scripture apart from the context of the preceding chapters and the proceeding chapters. But so many of us try to do that. Romans 13 cannot be isolated. Remember, Romans 12, okay, should be fresh in your mind that we just spent weeks on, weeks and weeks, precedes Romans 13. Paul tells us, remember, I'm going to put you in remembrance of what we learned. Paul tells us in Romans 12 how we are to live our lives in light of God's mercy. The overwhelming message of Romans 12 is that we are to be people of peace. Remember that? If we are persecuted, if we are mistreated, if we are cursed, Pastor Scott read it this morning, we Christians must be a people of peace. We are told to be patient in tribulation, chapter 12, verse 12. We're told to bless those that persecute us, chapter 12, verse 14, to repay no evil for evil, verse 17, we are even told to feed and give drink to our enemies. Verse 12 of Romans 12. And do you remember 
what Paul writes in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Many Christians today just simply don't get this. Or they don't want to. They don't see that the scriptures teach that we are never, never to take part in avenging ourselves. Never. Remember what I quoted Tom Schreiner is saying when he had exegeted this verse in Romans 12, he said that God liberates us by not having to take vengeance upon our enemies. He said that we are free to love our enemies and do good to them because we don't have to hurt them or avenge ourselves. God will avenge us. And I realize that this goes against everything that many Christians have been taught all of their lives, including me. But I can assure you, we have been taught incorrectly if we've been taught that way. If we have been taught that we are free to take vengeance on our enemies, we've been taught incorrectly. The very notion not only flies in the face of Paul's teaching in Romans 12 and 13, but it flies in the face of everything Jesus taught us in the Gospels. We are to be people of peace. We are to seek peace and pursue it no matter what, as far as it depends upon us. And in the end, God will right all the wrongs, Schreiner said, along with 50 million other theologians that I read on the matter when I was interpreting Romans 12. As soon as Paul tells Christians not to take part in avenging themselves in the latter part of Romans 12, he says there is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, 4. In Paul's day, this is where it gets tricky. In Paul's day, God's avenger was the most unlikely creature on the planet. The Roman governing authorities headed by that evil, maniacal, Christian-killing nutjob named Nero. He wouldn't start killing Christians in droves until a few years after Paul finished his letter to the Roman church. But nonetheless, as Paul was writing, Nero had not only begun his persecution of Christians, but his other evils were very well known to Paul and everyone else, like uh, killing his wife, killing his brother, killing his second wife, 
and trying to kill his very own mother. And so in spite of Rome's, listen, so important, in spite of Rome's wickedness and evil, the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Rome that Nero and his band of murderers actually serve a God-ordained purpose. Yikes! And because they serve a God-ordained purpose, Christians should be subject to their authority, Romans 13.1. And what I want you to see is that there's nothing new under the sun here. The empires, folks of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia were all incredibly wicked, but they were also used by God to carry out his divine purposes. They weren't God's people. God did not command or condone their wickedness, but he allowed their wickedness to serve his purposes in the end. God was doing the same with the Roman Empire in Paul's day. Indeed, God does the same with every nation on the planet. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it whichsoever way he wills. Elon Musk is not a genius. God is the genius. And so we must remember that Romans 13, 1 through 7, was written to Christians who either already knew or were now learning for the first time from Paul that their true citizenship was not in Rome, but in heaven. Our government today that we live under in the United States is no different than Rome in Paul's day. Listen, our government is responsible for the slaughter of multiple millions of babies over the past 49 years for burning them with acid while in the womb by literally ripping their limbs off as they recoil in pain in that womb. I could show you the video if you want to see it. And now they are selling the murdered baby's organs to the highest bidder. To me, that, that alone makes Nero look like a Boy Scout. Today, our government is allowing violent criminals, just turn on the news, to be released from jail in the name of wokeness, and those said criminals are leaving those jails and raping, pillaging, and killing again and again and again. The recidivism stats don't lie. The crime stats don't lie. The people laying in the streets as victims on the six o'clock news are not fake pictures. The lesson here 
was spelled out clearly by Paul to the Christians living in Rome. Pay your taxes. Don't resist the government's authority, even if you're killed for your submission to those authorities. So be it. You'll be in heaven, and the Lord will avenge you. Now, you may be thinking, how could you say that, Mike? I didn't say it. Jesus said it, then Paul said it, and Peter said it. I just repeated it. Christians today need to understand what the Christians in the early church understood. You are not citizens of this world. Do I love America? Absolutely. I sure do. I don't think a day goes by that I don't thank the Lord for being born in this country and for having all the things that I have. But America is not my home. I am a sojourner, an alien, a citizen of another place. Paul said that, and it's called heaven. And your citizenship, Christian, is also in heaven. Your inheritance is in heaven. Your God allegiance, your eternal family is in heaven. You don't have a passport. You have a seal from the Holy Spirit. Just read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. We need to let this sink in. There's no place in Romans 12 and 13 or anywhere else in the New Testament, for that matter, where we are called as Christians, it's going to come as a shock, where we are called as Christians to take up arms against our government for their involvement in killing those babies. Do we need to be indifferent towards such things? Absolutely not. We are called, or I should say, um, we are not called to do nothing. We can use our temporary citizenship here to vote against those politicians that want to kill more babies. And we can vote against those men and women who want to let violent criminals out of jail. We can peacefully march in front of abortion mills with signs. We can pray in front of abortion mills. We can counsel and pray with girls who are newly pregnant and don't know what to do. We can get them housing and diapers and formula. These are all proactive, loving, Christian, effective things that we can do without breaking the laws of those governing authorities that Jesus instituted that we're to obey. And we will talk more about these things next week, a lot more. But right now, I want you to simply see that God is at the helm of everything. He allows what he allows for his purposes and his glory in the end. We can't question that because we can't question that, I should say, 
because, frankly, we ain't got the brains to figure it all out. His ways are not our ways, and he only gives us a glimpse through the glass darkly, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. That's his prerogative. He is God. We are not. We accept that by faith. We accept this teaching by faith. It's kind of like when your kid asks uh, why, and you say, because I said so. Sometimes your child just doesn't have the capacity to understand, and you have to say, because I said so. Your, your kid may not understand, but he or she is not going to love you any less because you said you'll learn about it when you get older. Just deal with it right now because I said so. It's the same with God. When we get to our home in heaven and cash in on our real citizenship, our forever citizenship, and our inheritance, we will understand. But for right now, some things have to be just because he said so. And this may come as a shock to some people, and I don't mean it that way, but I have to say it. Our mission here, because there are, there are pastors in the media right now who have huge followings, huge followings, who are saying the opposite of what I'm about to say. Our mission here on earth is not to gather weapons in order to man an armed resistance against the overreach of a wicked government. Other people may be called to do that. Sure. But this is not the way of the Christian. It is not. Our calling, like the calling of our first century brothers and sisters in Christ, is to take up our cross, follow our master, leave vengeance to God. And if we are to be martyrs, then our deaths will be avenged. <laughs> to the true Christian, it doesn't matter, folks, if your death is avenged or not. I mean, think about it. What does it matter? You're going to be in heaven. To die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Who cares who's going to get avenged? So, unfortunately, we have to stop here. But next week, I, I hope to answer some of, the, some of the questions that I know I've just created in your, in your minds this morning. Um, that trust me when I say there's a method to my madness with this. And, and I pray that you, you, you trust me to work through more of this with you next week. We're not done. We're only just dipping our beak in. You with me? Please tell me you're with me. Okay. Next week, we're going to learn, just preview, more about peaceful Christian solutions to the world's ills. And we will learn that there are differences, folks, between submission, allegiance, obedience, and civil disobedience. We will learn that there are things we can do as Christians to help those who are oppressed by those governing authorities while at the same time not taking on those governing authorities in a way that Jesus 
would not approve of. Let's pray.